Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review Podcast. I'm David Erie, the Chief Technology Officer of the Virginia Innovation Partnership Corporation. Our guest today is Jay Lowell, Principal Senior Technical Fellow at the Boeing Company, where he helps guide technical strategy and research implementation regarding disruptive emerging technologies. Before joining Boeing, he served as a researcher at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, and as a professor in the U.S. Air Force. Jay, I'm delighted to be speaking with you today. Thank you. I see you got your doctorate work at University of Virginia, so we always like uh, Virginia participants. Well, thank you. Actually, it turns out my family has roots in Virginia going all the way back into the 1700s. So I'm a long-time wow. Virginian, moved away for a while, but happy to be back here and been living here since the turn of the century. I work in a small organization within Boeing called Disruptive Computing Networks and Sensors, which we call DCNM. That organization, we have a charter to essentially be like a little innovation hub within the company in a couple of disruptive areas. One of those is quantum technology, and the other area is what we call high-fidelity digital twins, which is really about making digital representations of the non-mechanical aspects of our products so that we can better understand their function and advance our understanding of how they'll behave and test those things that make the systems work. And what we really have done is taken a really a broad view of quantum technology development and trying to make sure that we understand how that aligns to our company's business and product interests. So we kind of look at the general types of quantum technology development, quantum sensing, quantum computing, and quantum networking. And what we've done is established a series of projects in each of those thrusts. So we have a number of quantum sensing projects, including ones to develop better optical clocks and figure out how to use those to drive some of our products to work better, provide better value to our customers. We have a quantum computing applications team that focuses on understanding how algorithms that can run on quantum computers that support business objectives, how we might incorporate those within the business. And every bit as importantly, when is the time to start thinking about incorporating those into the business? When do we switch from kind of researching how a quantum computer will help us to actually using a quantum computer in more of a production or design engineering and manufacturing mm-hmm. sense? We have a set of projects looking at quantum networking technologies, both looking at hardware that would make quantum networks useful, but also looking at algorithms and applications that provide value in having essentially quantum capabilities within networks. We're trying to take a long view. Boeing doesn't make everything that we use within our products, nor should Mm -hmm. we. In doing that, we kind of looked at this strategically and said, the thing that we need to be better at than anybody else is understanding how to apply these capabilities to the parts of the business that are important to us. To me, that's the way that a company the size of Boeing can do things differently than kind of a smaller company. We not only have the resources to take that kind of longer view, but we really are a company that has a culture of working on products that take a long, long time to come to market. The airplane development programs are 15, 20, 30-year projects from start to finish. That comes with a discipline and an understanding of what it takes to look at things with a big picture view and really take the time to understand the value that a particular technology, in this case quantum, can bring and what needs to happen top to bottom to make that work alongside it and integrated into everything else that we produce as a company. 
can you provide any specific use cases that you're looking at as you incorporate those kinds of capabilities, what the timelines are that you see? The main things that we've been looking at right now are in materials development. The process of taking and developing a new material system and qualifying it for use in an aviation environment or an aviation application can be a 20-year process. We see opportunities to use computation and simulation to speed that process along, to essentially shorten the time we spend searching for a material or understanding how that material might interact with other materials around it by doing more higher fidelity and deeper simulations using quantum computers. Another that we've been looking at is really looking at optimization of composite systems. That turns out to be a very difficult combinatorial optimization problem. And while the quantum computers that are there now are not big enough to outperform our high-performance computing systems and the methods we do, what we've been really trying to study is how do these problems scale on a quantum computer differently than they scale using our current methods? And based on that, we see a point where the quantum computers will become more capable. And so we're trying to think about and predict where that timeline might be and essentially prepare for that crossover and that transition in the future. Sounds like you're talking about sort of very broad-based functional teams, uh, not just aerospace. Any thoughts around how the ecosystem or how we can support your evolving workforce needs going forward? We looked at this much like the way we look at developing a product like an airplane. It's very clear to us that everybody who works on an airplane isn't an aeronautical engineer. And just like that, everybody who's going to be working on some sort of quantum project really doesn't need to be a quantum physicist. Now, it doesn't mean they can't be ignorant about quantum, but it doesn't mean they need to be a specialist about quantum. And so the trick in the end has been how do we bring along, how do we you know, kind of couple enough people who have that quantum expertise with the right set of other disciplines that have a lot to say and offer the development of that quantum application so that everybody can work together to get us to the right end point. Almost every one of the project teams that I have is multidisciplinary. I have no team that is entirely physicists. Maybe this is self-serving or a little biased, but my view is that our teams are better for it. We have people who are able to ask questions differently than a physicist or a quantum physicist might ask. And find things that that diversity really helps us do a better job of developing the products and not missing stuff because we're blind to it because of the biases that having all people of the same type working on a project brings to the solution. Right. Large sets of interdisciplinary product teams is really the way that we drive our products to fruition. We recently announced that we're moving our headquarters to Virginia. More importantly than the announcement of moving our headquarters to Virginia was that we're establishing alongside that a research and technology hub in the area, and that one of the focus areas of that hub will be quantum sciences alongside cybersecurity, autonomous operations, and software and systems engineering. The regional ecosystem in the Northern Virginia area is really ideally suited to support these kinds of activities. There is a large population of people with advanced degrees. There's a large concentration of government research and development organizations. We're confident that the Virginia region has the kind of talent that we need to make that hub a success. 
Are there advantages to using these types of quantum technologies in space settings outside the atmosphere as opposed to in aircraft or so on? Certainly environmental noise, decoherence of the quantum states that are involved seems like it would be less of a direct issue in space applications. Is it easier or just different when you move into those type of environments? It's not a satisfying answer, but the short version is it depends. So for certain kinds of sensing, quantum sensing applications. So let's think about quantum sensors that are, for instance, navigation sensors that are sensing inertial forces. Turns out those are expected. They haven't been demonstrated in space, but subcomponents have been demonstrated in space. And those subcomponents actually do work much better. There are some engineering challenges that happen to getting those systems to work that require a little bit of extra effort to make them work down here on the surface or even on an airplane, for example, become easier when you go into an orbital environment. On the other hand, computing applications are likely to be a little bit more difficult because of the increased radiation in space. And that radiation is likely to affect essentially the ability to run longer calculations Quantum computers recover from disruptions in their computation differently than classical computers. And so the design techniques that have been used to make our regular computers work in the space environment aren't necessarily going to work on quantum computers. And so I think quantum computing applications in space are going to likely be a fair bit harder. The interesting wild card in all that is networking. I think that this networking is one where you really are probably doing the purest trade in making it harder versus easier You're trading one problem for a different problem in space. That problem you're Mm -hmm. trading is quantum networking works by communicating single photons. And you're trading the fact that you don't have any atmosphere or fiber between essentially the network nodes. If you're looking at communicating between a pair of satellites, so you're trading that lack of loss, but you're adding having to compensate for relative motion of the two platforms. And so you're trading one difficult technology problem with a different difficult technology problem. I see you've done a fair amount of work with lasers in your background. Do you use that kind of a laser-based approach for creating quantum entities? It depends on what you're trying to do. There are quantum computers that use lasers to cool atoms and do that. There are quantum sensing applications that use lasers to probe atomic systems. All of the quantum networking capabilities use lasers at some point in the process of communicating information, even if it's just to get down to the generation of those single photons. But those single photons effectively are the weakest possible laser you can make. It is a big part of the supply chain of developing these systems and the components, and it's certainly something that the U.S. industry has been trying to understand what specific lasers are more important for quantum than they might be for other areas of technology and try to figure Mm -hmm. out how to get some investment moved into making those lasers either more accessible, larger numbers of manufacturer, or whatever the case is for the specific laser. How do you see Boeing's role as contributing to the larger ecosystem? How do you see Boeing's role in helping to grow and and make that a positive feedback kind of ecosystem? We do a number of different things to try to do that. We serve on consortium and organizations such as the Quantum Economic Development Consortium, which is helping build the national ecosystem of companies that work in this quantum space. We're working very heavily with the Potomac Quantum Innovation Center. In fact, I'm on the steering committee for that center. That is a collaboration of 
businesses, industry, and government in the Potomac region trying to drive and guide the development of quantum capabilities in the region. We invest in university development and universities in the region. We see them as both key elements of the development of people and talent in the space, but also a place to incubate company ideas. We have a long history of working with small businesses and manufacturers to refine the products and services that they provide to meet our specific requirements. And so we will continue that in the quantum technology space, really be development partners with those smaller companies, both providing resources to specialize what it is that they do to meet our requirements, where they're different than the requirement of the devices or products that they produce, and then ready-made customers once that development is complete. We've covered a fair amount of territory here. Are there any other ideas or topics you'd like to touch on or that we we didn't uh, cover adequately? One of the things you had asked when we were kind of getting ready for this was how might quantum impact the average citizen's everyday life? The place that I think more people are going to be impacted in a way that they can see it is in the development of advanced medical sensors using quantum sensor technology. Mm -hmm. I think this is an area where there is a pretty substantial market need for advancements in the kinds of medical sensors that quantum sensing provides. And it's essentially a product that will be exposed directly to the general public because, you know, each of us is a medical patient at some point in our life and likely to come in contact with those kinds of sensors. You know, an MRI is an early example of a quantum sensor. There are advanced versions of MRIs where people are looking at being able to do, for instance, functional brain scans without having to sit in an MRI and without having to have the large infrastructure of a huge magnet sitting around somebody to go do that. Right. These kinds of sensors really have an opportunity to make and have a profound impact on people the world over by changing the cost it takes to provide that kind of specialized medical sensing and really the quality of the outcome, the quality of the data that the sensor produces. Other place that I'm betting on is really in the space of navigation. I think that this is a place where quantum sensing provides some very, very clear advantages and allows systems to be built that are both more accurate, but also more reliable over time. This is one of those areas where we as a company are very, very focused on this. In fact, we are going to be demonstrating, doing a flight test to demonstrate quantum navigation systems later this year. How do you think about the interaction between artificial intelligence and sort of quantum technologies, whether it's autonomy or quantum computing or what have you? Machine learning really, in the end, is about trying to build a model that is able to take some collection of data and predict when a new piece of data comes in with how it fits with that other set of data. So essentially, Mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out, as you're presented with a new piece of data, the classic image recognition thing is, okay, is this a person or is this a cat? You do that one of two ways. You either do that by training a system, you provide it lots and lots and lots of images, and it essentially starts to kind of find the edge between those two categories by just figuring out where the examples are and then drawing the best line that demarcates cat from human. There are other kinds of machine learning models that really are what are called generative models. These are models where you really don't tell it what the answer is. 
you have it look at the data and you say, what can you learn about this? What conclusions can you derive from the data as it's presented to you? They seem to function a little bit more like our brain actually does. To what extent can the introduction of quantum behaviors improve these generative models' ability to discern the categorization without being presented one? Early research indicates there are signs that that quantum-like behavior seems to improve models' ability to understand or to develop a categorization that makes sense without being told what it is. It's going to be a uh, fascinating few years or maybe decades watching these technologies evolve. So today we've been speaking with Dr. Jay Lowell, the principal senior technical fellow at the Boeing Company, uh, and his thoughts about quantum technologies and how they fit into the disruptive emerging technology areas that Boeing Company is focused on. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.